Amen. Open your Bibles this evening to Luke chapter 16. We're going to be in chapter 16 of Luke this evening, and I know we're in a Wednesday night crowd. And uh, I know you should say this is camp meeting message. This is teen camp meeting. This is a Sunday morning message. Um, I'll get around to it helping the church here in just a minute. I believe God called me to preach. I'm not mama, mama called daddy sent. I've got a little seminary under my belt, but that doesn't make me a preacher. And I believe God's given me this message for a reason, and I believe it's going to help you tonight. I'm not trying to pull a damper on your Christmas spirit, but God won't let me let this burden go. And I pray when you get to Luke 16, are you there? Say amen. When Luke 16, we're going to start off on uh, verse 19. The Bible says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen. And he fared sumptuously every day, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes. The Bible says in hell he lifted up his eyes. He was not in purgatory. He was not in soul sleep. He did not walk through this world. And good, um, good things that happened were heaven. And bad things that happened were, were hell. He says he woke up in a place called hell. He lifted up his eyes being in torments. And seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus received the evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Heavenly Father, I pray you be with me today. Only speak, let me speak what you would have to speak. Lord, you've got this message for someone, but you've had it for me first. I pray, Lord, you do more through me than to me tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. In this day and age, philosophers, the doctrine of hell, we throw doctrines around in the Bible that, that we, we suppose people know about. We suppose they've got a grasp on it, but we can never suppose that if uh, we never explain what the doctrine of that, of that is. The doctrine of hell is real in your Bible. The doctrine of hell, philosophers will deny it. The religious crowd will avoid it. And your lukewarm Laodicean churches have placed air conditioners in hell to keep their attendance up. And those that reject the doctrine of hell reject the Bible and its teaching on hell. Hell is a place. Hell is a place that is misery for the sinners. We'll get to the church in a minute. But right now, I want you to see it is misery for the sinner. We see a rich man and we see a poor man. The rich man died and the, and the poor man dies. The death is no respecter of person. Hebrews, I believe in Hebrews it says, it is appointed unto man once to die, 
and after this, the judgment. One day on God's eternal timeline, he has a day that you are checking out of this earth and you are going to check in to eternity. You can't do anything about that first half. It's appointed unto man once to die. But the second half, you can. There's not a general judgment. There's a judgment if you're saved. It's called the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. You'll stand before Christ, not for your salvation, but for what you've done after your salvation. The motive for your work. It's going to be the quality, not quantity, that you did it for. Did you do it for the right spirit? Did you look? Did you do it so you would be on a pedestal, or was it just to exalt our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? But there is another judgment. It's called the judgments. Uh, it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Those that are which it, are here in hell at the end of the millennium will be pulled up, and God will go over it again. And it says, "Death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire." This is the second death. Here it says, people will say tomorrow at your workplace, or they have today, that they'll, they'll tell another co-worker or somebody around to go to hell. They'll tell them that this weekend we're going to live like hell. They're going to tell them that this job is, that they work at or this, this whatever is going on, a situation or circumstance is hell. But when you tell them that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to lose, they laugh at you and they don't believe it. The rich man died and he was buried. And it says he woke up in hell. Death and hell in Revelation were cast into the lake of fire. Hell is called a grave, but not all graves are hell. Hell is called a pit, but not all pits are hell. Hell is a literal place. It's not soul sleep. It's not purgatory. It's not annihilation. He realized that hell wasn't just a state of mind, it was a place that he was at. He is dead, his body is dead, but his soul remains. And his soul is conscious. He has memories of his brethren. He feels the pain and the torments. Look at all the adjectives in this flame. The Bible says in Jonah that hell has bars. Matthew 16, 18, that hell has gates. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Revelation 8, 118, Jesus has the keys to hell and the grave. That, uh, hell has bars, it has gate, it has keys. The location of hell, hell is beneath our feet. Isaiah 14, 9 says, Hell from beneath is moving for thee at thy coming. Isaiah 14, 15 Jesus is speaking unto Lucifer who has exalted himself above all that is called God. He said, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. The sides of the pit, there is no bottom. It is going to be a place of always falling. Matthew 5, 22, first mentioned in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, not the Baptist, not uh, Billy Sunday or Charles Spurgeon. It was Jesus Christ who, who termed the term or coined the term and spoke the term hellfire. It is Jesus' terms. Mark 9.42 says it's where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Mark 9.44 is where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Mark 9, 46, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. It's a place of torments. It's a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Hell is an awful place. 
Hell is an awful place. It's also eternal. I can give you the verses, but we'll just go through. Matthew 25, everlasting punishment. Mark 3, eternal condemnation. Hebrews 6, eternal judgment. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, everlasting destruction. Matthew 18, it's eternal fire. Matthew 25, Jude 7, it's unquenchable fire. Mark 9, it's eternal torment. Revelation 19. It is not a brief stay. It is a stay forever. I witnessed to a lady one time. She was Roman Catholic. And she stood on that. And I prayed for her. And she told me time and time again, as I would see her and time and time again, there's one mediator between God and man. And that is, she'd say, Mary. I had to show her the Bible and show her that it was Jesus Christ. And one day she says, you know what? I've been a Roman Catholic for all these generations. I'll just go to purgatory and it'll be all right. And if she does not get saved today, she will be like this rich man. And her verse will be Luke 16, 23, in hell, she will lift up her eyes. You know what that means? I wrote in my Bible right here, too late. It's too late. You get one chance to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And that's this side of heaven. And uh, you think about, I think about a burning house, eternal flame. I think of a burning house. I think of the, the, the fire and rescue coming up to this house. Somebody's going into there to check and rescue somebody. Hell is a place of eternal torment. There will be no rescuers. There will be no firefighters. No one is going to call 911 and get you from that flame. Hell is a place of eternal punishment. But hell is not made for us. Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. People say, I will have a good time in hell. I'll bring the beer. I'm going to party in hell. The, the cartoons and the joke is Satan is a, has a little red suit on and a pitchfork, and he's got a little tail on him, but that's not what the Bible says. They make him out of a cartoon. You will go, if you're not a devil and an angel, you will not go to hell as a guest. You will go as an intruder. It's not for you. Hell is not a place for us. Psalm 9, 17, it says that the wicked shall be turned into hell. Hell is an awful place. The weeping and, and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Years ago, I worked for a company where I make house calls. And I, I was about 30 minutes away from this certain town. I called a lady and she told me, she said, uh, you sh you, yeah, we got a service call. If you can get down the road, uh, there's a lot of police cars and things here. And uh, it may clear out by the time you get there. But yeah, just come on over. We'll see if we can get this done. And as I drive out there, 30 minutes is a long time. They should clear this thing up. And uh, I go, I get there. I'm able to get down the road. I, I go to the customer's house and I'm out in the yard and we're discussing the problems that he was having. And uh, I remember hearing this lady scream across the street. And if you've ever heard anyone scream like that, it will never, ever, ever escape your memory or your soul or your mind. And the guy told me, he says, we ju she just found out just now, the police were here, that her 19-year-old son got murdered in a, in a, in a drug uh, tra transfer and all this stuff, and bad drug deal. That woman just got the news that her son was lost. She would never see him again. And I'll never forget those screams. But in hell, it'll be those screams times a million of people 
who would want to be out and who would want to come back. And they thought about him as just trash because they stole his stuff. But hit 19 years, somebody, a, a blood-bought, born-again Christian, could have came by him at a gas station, at a, at, a, at a grocery store, waved their hands up and said, hey, you don't have to go that way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man coming to the Father but by him. You don't have to go down that path on this side of heaven. You don't have to go down to that path in eternity. But where are we at? We're filling the churches sometimes. Are we filling the streets with the gospel? We see the place. Hell is real. We see the person in hell. This is, this is interesting. There's a certain rich man, verse 19, that was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. That's all you get on him, on this side of heaven. He had the nicest chariots. He had the nicest house. The robe on the outside was real good, and the linen on the inside, that was for royalty. That was someone who was magnificent, somebody who was a big shot. He was on all the radio stations. He was in all the Hollywood movies. But God only gave him one verse, because it's not what matters here in the temporal. It matters what's in eternity. He gave him one verse. The rest of it's about him in hell. Lazarus even gets two verses. Lazarus was even laid at the gate. He couldn't even get there. Lazarus, the only comfort he got was a dog licking his sores. The doctors wouldn't even see him. But God gave him two verses. I see that, they, that he had done uh, no moral or ethical wrong that is spoken of. But if you look, he's a rich man. He coveted the pleasures and the luxuries of this world, but ne neglected his soul. Jesus would say, what shall a man profit? He shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. I've been to a few funerals in my life, and they wear suits, but there's nothing in their pockets. The hearse has no trailer behind it. In fact, when you get real good family around each other and someone's dying, they always want something. Hey, when he goes, going to have that. When she goes, going to have that. You know, sad. And you know what? There's, there's no name to this certain rich man. Matthew 7, 22 through 23 says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have we cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You know why he doesn't name him? Because God doesn't know him. If I'm in the grocery store and there's a family with two kids, I can't call that kid's name if I don't know who they are, if they're not my own. But God looks down and says, there's just a rich man. I don't know who he is, but Lazarus, he's one of my own. I have a name for him. I have a name for him. He's rich. You can't buy your way to heaven. First Peter says that we are redeemed, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible also says that the love of money is the root of all evil. We wouldn't have a, a, a pornography industry that's blowing up our internet. We, li we live in the, 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 the information super age, right? But I think it's interesting they call it the World Wide Web. Be careful, you'll get tangled up in it. We, we, have, we, have, we have resources at our finger, fingertips to be the smartest generation to ever walk the face of the earth, and 80% of it's spent on pornography. Amen. The riches, there would not be that if there was not money involved. That young man probably wouldn't have been killed if drugs didn't provide money. Money is the root of all evil. It wasn't that he had riches, it was that the riches had him. What do you have now that's keeping you away from eternity? 
What do you have now that's keeping you out from soul winning on Saturday? What, what's keeping you out of church on Sunday night? What's keeping you out of church on Wednesday night? What are you hanging on to? That's more important than someone going to hell. Many things keep people out of heaven. You can, you can just, <clears throat> there's idols everywhere. Idols. It, it may be a football game. It might be a, a, a hunting season. It might, be, it might be the riches of this world. It might be the covetousness of things. He was rich. But look at Luke 16, 27. I want to read the rest of this. He was religious. Then he said, this is him speaking, I pray, this is the rich man, thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. He's now a missionary. Abraham said, unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, nay, that's, that's Greek for no. Father Abraham, but if one went unto, the, unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. This rich man, no, no, no ethical wrongdoing, no moral wrongdoing. His focus was the on, on the wrong thing. It was more fulfilling his plate than, than living for eternity. He was living for the here and now and not the hereafter. It's quite possible that he fed Lazarus. That he, Lazarus had to have somebody carry him at the gate. The rich man or, or possibly his guests would walk out and feed him. Possibly that rich man thought, if I feed him enough, I, it will tip my good into the favor and I'll get to heaven. My good will one day outweigh my bad. But then he also, look what he says, okay? Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets. He says, let them what? Hear them. Let them hear them. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? The, fo the foolishness of preaching, right? It's foolish to this world. Somebody get up here and just waste their Wednesday night to, to give you a book that, that, that you say God wrote, amen? But to us, it's the power of God. To us, it's the power of God. I need preaching. I need preaching. I need to do it. I need to hear it. It, needs to, it helps me. He tried to go his own way. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And you know what he said? He said, no. Father Abraham, nay. He said, I'll do it my way. He said, if one went unto the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, he said, if ye hear not Moses and the prophets. If, if G, somebody told me one time, good Christian man, if Jesus would walk in front of me right now, I would believe it more than I believe now. He was like the guy in Mark. He said, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And I said, I don't think that'd be the case. And he said, why not? If I saw him, I'd see it. You know, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith and not by sight now in this day and age. Jesus walked this earth for 33 and a half years. He had 12 disciples. One of them was the devil and left him and, and betrayed him. The other 10 left him. Let's see, how many is that? Yeah, 10 left him, and only John's sitting at the cross with him. They still didn't believe him when he walked this earth. We believe because of what we heard, and we trust what Jesus and God has said in his word. And he says, if he hears not Moses and the prophets, if you don't believe this Bible, you're not going to believe Jesus is risen from the dead. That's what it's saying. Key word is heard. It wasn't his religion, though, that kept put him in hell. It wasn't his riches that put him in hell. He went to hell because he was unredeemed. Salvation only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. 
The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Thank God it's a gift. Thank God I ain't got to work for it. Thank God I ain't got to have a bank account to buy it. Thank God it's a gift. If it's a gift of God, who gives us salvation? We, we got every reason in the world right now that if you're saved and born again in here to hang from the chandeliers, run down 39th Street, you won't go to hell. You'll never see hell. You'll never smell hell. You'll never taste hell. Hell is, is a byproduct. I'm fireproof. The first manufacturing job, I was built for hell. I can't go now because of the blood of Jesus Christ. How wonderful it is. I see the misery of the sinner. How terrible it is. People are dying every day and going to hell. And I believe that God, the goodness of God, leadeth to repentance. And I believe that the devil's a liar and he's destroying this world by deception and, and minimizing the importance of the word of God and church attendance. And let's just mix the world in here. Let's have... We'll do the same thing during the week as we do in the church house and top water religion, a big explosion, and then go off on your way during the week. But, but if you see how terrible hell is when you read your Bible, we have been given an opportunity to reach a lost and dying world. When you read about hell, it's misery of the sinner, but it also should be the motivation of us saints. Every day we wake up, we got a choice to make. We're going to live this life for Jesus Christ or we're going to live it for ourselves and our own self-gain. I don't believe in lifestyle evangelism. He didn't say, that, he didn't say go back and uh, walk around him a little bit and uh, he might get saved. He said they got to hear it. You got to wake up and know that you're walking out in a lost and dying world. Everybody, a lot of people around you, we don't know their hearts. Only God does. They're, they're, there's not black and white, rich or poor. There is heaven and hell in front of you. And when somebody says, how do you have a smile on your face? Or, or how, do you, how are you always in a good mood? Well, I don't always have good things happen, but hey, Jesus could come back any moment and everything will be all right. Amen? They need to have a reason for what they see on the outside. R.A. Torrey said, if you in any way abate the doctrine of hell, it will abate your zeal. Abate means to diminish or reduce. If any way we diminish or reduce the doctrine of hell, it will diminish and reduce your zeal for God and what he's doing. You know why you should get up and pray every day? Because someone in your family, someone on your work site, someone that you hang around with is going to hell. You know why you should be at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival during the week. If you can make it, God knows your heart. If you can be here, be here because someone is going to hell around you. You know why we should give the gospel and not gossip? Because somebody is going to hell around you. If we could just take this church house, maybe peel back the carpet. I know that makes Brother Chuck real mad. Take that little van out there and get as many people as we can. And somehow, some way, we can take some church members and drive down to hell for five minutes. We'd see the rich man. We won't see no partying. We'd see all the things we just spoke about. I, don't think, we, I think we'd have a bigger problem keeping that track rack full. When we came back, I think I think when we go soul winning at the at the uh, at the at the football games, I don't. I think we need a bigger van. I think we might have to rent a few. I don't think it'd be a hard thing to get people here on prayer meetings on Wednesday if hell was real. Go to uh, Acts chapter twenty. Acts chapter twenty. I'm going to show you Paul as an example. 
Acts chapter 20. I want you to see this in the Bible. You need to bring your Bible. I want you to look at it. I want you to, I don't, I don't want you to take me, follow me as I follow Christ. I want you to see what the Bible says. The, Paul was in Ephesus at this time for three years, three and a half years, something like that, three years. They had this idol named Dianus. It was a rock that fell from the sky. It was a meteor. They had it in this temple. It was just debauchery and fornication and lewdness that goes on in there. Paul never preached about Diana, but he shook it all up. He shook up their religion by preaching Jesus. Preaching the real thing, get the, uh, get the wrong thing out pretty quick. And Paul's got to leave here. And in verse 31, it said, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. He said, he said watch and remember. Three years, he said he ceased not. How many tracts you give out this week? Amen. How many you give out in the last month? How many you give out in the last six months? Can you count on your hands how many you give out in the last five years? Paul, cease not. We need some cease not Christians. We need to know that heaven's, heaven's to gain, hell's to shun. But we need some cease not Christians. It's cold outside, come to church. It's raining outside, come to church. It, it might snow one day, slay the church, whatever you got to do, get here. Amen? So the psalmist says, He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with us. When we go, to, when we go hand out a track, we don't want to show, how, show somebody how spiritual we are. We want to point them to Jesus Christ and tell them how great he is. If you go, if you go tonight, before you leave this church house, get on the altar and say, Lord... When I leave here, I got to go to Publix. I got to go to the gas station. I pray, Lord, you put somebody in front of me that I can give a gospel track to. Give me an opportunity to talk to somebody. I guarantee you God will do it. Every time. Greatest thing I, the greatest thing I ever did was I got down and I told, Lord, give me a burden for souls. Blessed is he that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He shall be filled. You know what? The Bible says that we need to go out and we, need to, we, we are weeping. And watering the harvest with our tears. We don't, see, we don't see tears in our homes, in our churches. I'm not talking about emotionalisms. I'm talking about that God inside of you that grumbles and moves and, and points you towards that sinner. I'm talking about souls that are going into hell for everlasting life and hellfire. The misery of the sinner, but the motivation of the saints. Go to Jude chapter 22. Jude chapter 20, right before Revelation. Somebody said one time, Revelation's the end times. Jude is right before the end times. We're knocking on the doors of it. I believe we're in those days where certain men creep in. Amen. The Bible says that creeping things are unclean. There's a whole nother message, but we need to earnestly contend for the faith. Jude, in verse 22, the Bible says, Some having compassion, making a difference, and others saved with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. You can't pull somebody out of the filth of this world if you're in the filth of the world. We got to be standing on heaven's side, reaching over there and pulling them out. I'm glad somebody one day gave me a gospel track. I'm glad, I'm glad a preacher one day reared back, preached hell hot, heaven sweet. Uh, he, he didn't back down. Hellfire, brimstone, judgment, Bible preaching. And the Holy Ghost reached over there and pulled me out of hell one day. I'm so thankful for that. 
Brother Travis, you glad God yanked you out of hell one day? The Holy Spirit put you in a pew, put you in a, on a in a church pew instead of a bar stool. Amen. Took you from the mire to the choir. Amen. I'm glad that so that He pulled me out. Amen. Whenever I wake up in the morning, I may have to go to work. I may not have a good day, but He pulled me out of that place. He pulled me out of the fire. He had compassion on me. I should be in hell with my back broke. I should not have been given any chance at all. But God loves us, old sinner. I'm glad God loves old sinners. Pulled them out. Pulled them from one place to another. Spurgeon said that if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, it must be filled with the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Amen. Weeping, warning, getting out, pulling them out. I was at work one time, and there was this man. I'm telling you this because I, I, I'm, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. My wife's not here, but you can call her and you can ask her. I make more mistakes than I like to admit. But God's been good to this old boy. God's let me see some things, and he's, seen, he's been real in my life. And one day at work, there was this young man in his 40s. He had to ride with me at work, and I witnessed to him and talked to him. He'd been to church. He didn't know much about Christ. Don't want don't to preach to him for eight straight hours, right? We'll just give him a little bit and leave it. First house we go into, there was it was a guy, I can't remember his name. He had a church here in town, and he spoke French. And I could see 1 Corinthians in, in French. And I asked the guy, I said, are you a Christian? He said, I sure am. This is a customer of ours. And he said, are you saved? That guy I'm training outside, he's outside. I said, amen, I'm blood-bought, born again. We had church, amen. It was good. Too, I mean, same spirit. Next thing you know, that guy comes in. I just witnessed to him, and the guy looks at him and said, are you saved? And just point his finger right down his nose. And he said, uh, he just heard this two minutes ago. And he said, well, uh, I would. Uh, he said, there's no, there's no hope so. There's a no so salvation. He preached the gospel to him. I said, amen. A few weeks later, a few weeks later, he gets a phone call, that guy that I'm training. And they said that uh, he had cancer. He had some kind of stomach problems. He, he, they, they thought it was cancer. He was from up north somewhere. He was going to have to move back. And he wasn't at work for two or three weeks. And two or three weeks later, he comes in to work. And I, I got a side door on my truck, pulls up, and he runs right to me, and he's in tears, and he's giving me a hug. And he said, will you pray for me? And we bowed our head underneath that truck, and I prayed for him. And I asked God to save him. I asked God to reach down and pull him out. Some would compassion, pull him out. And that day... I was going to go by his house. He lived just a few miles away. I'd bring my work truck back to this place, and I'd drive over there. He lived just that far away. But I didn't get back till 10 o'clock that night. Do you call and bother somebody? Do, do you do what God wants you to do? Is, is 10 o'clock too late for God to work? It may be too late for us to work. It may be an inconvenience. I'll go home. I'll go home. The next day, I, I get there, and Monday comes up. It was a Friday, I think, and then Monday, when I went back to work, I said, I'm going to go by his house, and nobody knew I was going to. I just want to sit down. I want to bring him something to eat. I want to just give him the gospel. I don't want anyone to go to hell. 
I don't want him to go to hell. Somebody at work said, you hear about so-and-so? I said, what about him? He said he moved Saturday. Missed it. Missed it. I tried. He got the gospel. Could I have done more? Yeah. Did I do more? No. How much more can we do? Cease not. Cease not. Don't stop giving the gospel. 745, I'm going to let you guys out a little bit. We, we got, oh, yeah, we got prayer tonight. So I'm going to close in this. C.T. Studd was a missionary to China and India in the late 1800s. You may have heard that poem. Every Bible I buy, I put it in the front. So I remember, you see me walk around carrying my Bible. So it reminds me of why I'm here and what I'm doing. It's not for me, it's for him. Every time when I look in the front of my Bible, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on and it finishes. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. He was popular. He had money. He gave all of his money. He was one of the Cambridge Seven under Hudson Taylor and the missionaries. He was a missionary to China. He was a mission, missionary to India. He was concerned about the lack of God, the gospel in Central Africa. He buried his wife in England while he was in Africa for all these years. Only one life. But C.T. Studd said this. He said, some wish to live within the sound of church and chapel bell. I wish to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. I'm telling you today that while I'm here today, because there is a hell for the one who rejects Jesus Christ. Why we labor and we toil for the teenagers, because there is a hell that is real and that is hot and it's eternal and we can pull them out with the help of the Holy Ghost. Why we spend our weeks at teen camp and youth rallies and nursing homes and wear ourselves thin because only one life will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last. Why do we use our only days off to do something for Jesus? Because that one day off may take someone from the misery of hell and into the glories of heaven. Amen. If we could get a hold of how big and how real hell really is, don't listen to people tell you about the philosophies. I've, I've got a whole page on them. That there is no hell, that grave, the grave is there. When they pedal to your house, they give you a watchtower. Tell them there's a hell. There's a real hell, a place called hell. And Jesus does not, does not want you to go there. 